Welcome back, my friends. Today, as we continue to study the Haggadah in depth, we're going to be addressing one of the most fundamental, crucial elements of the Pesach holiday in general and of the Pesach Seder in particular. Our sages tell us, and this notion has been distilled into the phraseology of our prayers, that Pesach is Zman Cheroseinu. Pesach is deemed to be the time, the season of our liberation. If there is a single word that denotes or in any way encapsulates the essence of Pesach, it would be freedom. How does that sound to you? What sounds of freedom do you hear? What does the notion of Passover, liberation, and freedom mean to you as an individual? This and many other things are going to be covered in the next hour or so. And I invite you to join me on what I think is really going to be a fascinating journey. A journey through the sands of time, a journey through the tomes of scholarship, and ultimately a journey towards the heart and soul of what not only Pesach, but Yiddishkeit itself is really all about. In the Haggadah, we are now arriving at the crescendo. The apex of Magid, you could call it the climax, will be giving ear to the feelings of praise and gratitude in a songful fashion. But we'll get to that. Just before we reach that musical climax, the duty that we have to express ourselves in the form of praising Hashem, which is part of the meaning of Haggadah, we finally reach the climax of the narrative, of the story. We've gone through so many details. Haggadah means telling. We've told the story of the narrative of Exodus. And now, as we're concluding the story of the Exodus, the Bala Haggadah takes us back to the Mishnah in Mesechet Pesachim. We read of the notion of Rabbi Gamliel and his three Passover essentials. And after we conclude the Passover essentials, the Mishnah continues. Before I read from the Haggadah, I'd like to read from the words of the Mishnah itself. Bechol dor vador, in every single generation, of adam liris es atzmai, a person has the sacred responsibility, chiyuv, when we speak about obligation in the syntax of Torah, we're talking about a holy obligation a duty we have towards Hashem, our Creator, the methodology through which we fulfill our own personal destiny because God created us with a purpose. And the mitzvot are the vehicles through which we're able to reach that purpose. Chayiv Adam Liris Es Atzmai, a person must see himself, as if he has left Mitzrayim. 
and we know this to be so by virtue of what expression in the Bible? Fascinating Mishnah idea. Does it have a biblical origin? Indeed, the Mishnah says it does. Shanemar, for it is written, You will tell your son on that day, Lamar, saying, It is because of this that Hashem has done Hashem has done this for me. In other words, this verse personalizes the Exodus when I leave Mitzrayim. The Bala Haggadah, the unknown author of our Passover Seder handbook, transcribes the words of the Mishnah verbatim. And then he adds his own continued development of this thesis. But before we go on to what the Bala Haggadah adds, what really is the proof from the verse in the Torah that we, living millennia, more than three millennia after the Exodus, are obligated to see ourselves as having left Egypt? Yes, it does say, You will tell your son on that day. That's Moses speaking to the people who were about to leave the land of Egypt. You will tell your children, God did for me. Of course it was done for you. You are the one who left the land of Egypt. The Rebbe suggests that the Maharsha, the famous commentator, Talmudic commentator, in Chidush Agodes, will become the source of our understanding of this Mishnah. Maharsha asks exactly the question I just expressed. He says, after all, there were amongst those who came to the land of Israel, who sat at that Seder, those who left the land of Egypt. And if you will say, did not everybody who left the land of Egypt die by the age of 20? Marsha says, no. They easily could have been Don't you have memories from before your 20th birthday? <laughs> I know, I do. So those who left Egypt who were 19 years old, 18, 17, 15, 16, or even 13 or 12, certainly had very, very strong memories of leaving the land of Egypt. They did not die in the desert. Furthermore, when Moshe Rabbeinu spoke those words, the notion of the 40-year delay had not even registered on the Richter scale. There wasn't supposed to be any kind of four-decade moratorium. They were going to go directly into the land of Israel. So, in Cain says, Marsha, Shapir Kamer, Asa Hashem Li. Indeed, it makes sense to say, God has told me. So, the Marsha says, firstly, the Pasuk says, Bayoyim Hahu, on that day. That day denotes not a specific day, but some day in the future. And he says, Kol Haparsha Ayri Gambedere So Acharonim. All of the rest of that Torah portion speak about a future time. It's not Moshe Rabbeinu addressing those who left the land of Egypt. It's Moshe Rabbeinu projecting onto the future. There's a mitzvah of Bechor, redeeming the firstborn. And there are other mitzvahs. All of them are applicable for posterity. And as such, it's self-understood that when our Mishnah tells us 
that we are obligated to personalize this because the verse says, it's a verse that's not speaking to those who actually left the land of Egypt, but it's speaking to a verse, to, pardon me, a generation who will be begotten by that generation and then generation after generation after generation after generation until our time. We must say, So when you teach your children, you need to personalize this. You need to say to your children, I don't want to tell you a story of antiquity. I don't want to tell you about an exodus that once unfolded. I want to tell you what happened to me. To me. Marsha says, this is why the Gemara's commentary on our Mishnah opens with the words, Omar Rava, Rava said, You got to say, we were taken out. Not they, we. The Marsha says, that this is clear, that the Torah expects us that when a child will ask us questions in the future, as the verse itself indicates, ki yisholcha bincha mocher, when your child asks you tomorrow, the namer kein gam ledeiris haboyim, that this is said for generations who will yet arrive. So it's very clear. The climax of Magid after talking about the three Passover essentials, the way in which the telling should unfold, focuses on personalization. Now it's time to personalize. If you want to do this right, I know I do, if you want to fulfill your obligation, your bond with Hashem on this special night, then you must personalize the Exodus. You must speak of not something in historical, antiquated terms, you must speak of something in dynamic, real-time Syntax. It's happening. I experienced this. You can too. That's how we should educate our children. The Bala Agoda goes on and he says, That is to say, not only were our ancestors redeemed by God, from Egypt, we too, we too were redeemed with them. Shanemar, as it is written. Now this is the verse that the Gemara quotes, of course. Rava says, you need to say this if you want to fulfill your duty on the night of Pesach. And the purpose wasn't just going out of there, but as we spoke about in great length during our study of the Dayenu hymn, it was Laman Hovi Esonu, it was so that we would be brought that Hashem would give us the land which He foreswore to our forefathers. So, it's very clear. We have a duty to personalize this business of Exodus. The Rebbe points out this is This is the addition of the author of the Haggadah the compiler of the Haggadah, who redacted this information. He added this in. Why did he do that? Remember it says, He repeated it. In other words, in order to emphasize. It's not found in the Mishnah. This notion of that repetition for emphasis is also spoken of in the writings of the great late medieval sage Rabbeinu Eliezer Rokeach 
who says that Afal not only is it being repeated here, but these are ideas that have been talked about already. At the very beginning of the Haggadah, we mentioned if he would not have taken our ancestors out, we too would have been slaves. Here it's repeated and it makes emphasis. This is not a nicety. This is not a concept. This has to be real. If you don't do it this way, it's le'ikuva. It's actually going to prevent you from fulfilling the mitzvah. That's not called going the extra mile. That is the race, the marathon you're on. You need to personalize this. It's obligatory. Okay, very interesting. So now we know that we have to personalize this and we have to say, we went out of Egypt. Uh, can I get a reality check? We went out of Egypt. What is this, some kind of grand delusion we're supposed to convince ourselves of things that didn't happen? Seriously, what in heaven does that mean? Well, it's interesting that when the Gemara says, Rava tells us, you have to say, you have to say, we were taken out too. The Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, who famously completed his commentary in the Talmud in the areas where Rashi was, didn't make it. So Rashbam here, who comments on the 10th chapter of Masechet Psachim, the chapter that speaks about the Seder, and includes chunks of the Haggadah, or the basis of the Haggadah, Rashbam says, Pasuk ve'esonu heitzimishon, this verse, and we, and we, he took out, means, shetzarech lahares es atzmai, that you need to present yourself, you need to show yourself, ki'ilu yatsa misham, as if you would have gone from there. Af of this redemption. In other words, what Rajbam says to us is not that we should convince ourselves something that isn't or live in an imaginary reality. He says when we speak about personalizing the Exodus, it's, it's the way we're supposed to express ourselves. We should show ourselves as if we went out of the land of Egypt. After all, the Mishnah says, Ki'ilu, as if. So the Mishnah is calling to us not to be commemorative, not to sit at the Seder night as if we're going through some antiquated, albeit cute, traditions. No, this is real. You need to be engaged, involved. You, you need to feel personal about this. As if you experienced the Exodus. Now, with regard to the words of Rashbam, it's very interesting to note that those, the words that Rava adds in the Gemara then, as Rashbam understands it, are an explanation, a further development, if you will, of the notion of what the obligation is. It's actually commentary. Here's the interesting thing. The Rambam, in the laws of Chometz and Matzah, in the seventh chapter, Halacha 6, says 
And this is not the text of the Haggadah, but this is Halacha. In other words, the Rambam views this text of Haggadah as instructive insofar of how we're supposed to behave on this night. He says, Bechol dor vador, in every generation. Chayev Adam, and here the Rambam uses the terminology, Leharot et atzmo, to show himself, as if to express himself, to present himself. As if he has just experienced this freedom, this liberation from Shibud Mitzrayim. The commentary of the Meiri is cited in suggesting that this is the meaning, this is actually the literal or technical meaning of that chayev, of that obligation, mandate, or responsibility. Meiri says, in other words, Chayev laharois, you have to demonstrate. You have to demonstrate that the exodus from Egypt is meaningful, has an impact on our lives today. That now we are different people because of the Yitziah, because of the exodus from Egypt. Now, how could you say that something that happened thousands of years ago is applicable or is impactful today? Says the Meiri, If not for that redemption, we'd never have left Egypt. The Jewish nation never would have been born. We would have always remained a subclass of Egyptian society. We would always have been a slave people. We never would have become Am Yisrael. So if I'm a member of Am Yisrael, the nation of Israel, it's because we went out of Mitzrayim. Because our ancestors having been taken out of Mitzrayim means that I today am a member of the Jewish people. Now it's true that the Rambam in his Haggadah, in many, many, many of the printed versions, also the, the Haggadah reads instead of the word liros, but laharot. It's not at all that simple though. It's true that many, many versions of the Rambam's Haggadah read that way, and some suggest that that was the Rambam's text of the Mishnah. The Rambam had a different text of the Mishnah. That's what the Magad Mishnah suggests in his commentary on the Rambam. However, in the 50s and 60s, there was an enormous amount of activity insofar as manuscripts of Rambam are concerned. A great Yemenite sage named Rav Kapach, who just passed away a few years ago, devoted his life to the retranslation of the Rambam's works from the medieval Arabic in which they were written. He maintained that they were all mistranslated. He was an expert in the old Arabic. He retranslated many, many of the Rambam's works with significant nuances that make real differences in how we understand the pshat, the meaning of Rambam's teachings. But Rav Kapach also, in 1963, printed a Mishnah, the Rambam's version in manuscript of the Mishnah and the Haggadah, and they both say, Lirot et Atzmo, not Laharot. Even in the famous Frankel Rambam, which is probably the most exhaustive volume of Rambam ever printed, he also notes that there are many who dissent from the Haggadah's saying, Laharot, leaving the Haggadah 
reading as our Mishnah does and our Haggadah does, Lirot. But rather it's an interpretation. An interpretation of how we are supposed to behave on the night of Pesach. There's an exquisite edited Sikha from the Rebbe, a talk from the Rebbe, Rumination on Pesach, that's printed in the 12th volume of Lakuta Sikhot. It would take me a couple of hours just to share the full content with you, but the Rebbe analyzes the words of Rambam and the words of the Alter Rebbe and Shulchan Aruch who follows Rambam and Rajbam and Mi'iri's approach. And the Rebbe suggests that the obligation on the night of Pesach can be understood in the following fashion. Number one, the Mishnah is telling us about the reality. The reality is that the exodus from Egypt is not merely a historical event. Because, as we mentioned multiple times already, had we not been taken out of Mitzrayim, we'd still be there. That is to say, we never would have become the Jewish people. And the fact that we are the Jewish people, and the fact that I and you are members of this chosen nation of Hashem, today is because of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So it isn't as if what happened then happened then and now. <laughs> I'm dealing with the reality of today, totally divorced from what unfolded centuries or millennia ago. No, no, no. That would be a big mistake to make. On the contrary, we are only who we are today because of what happened then. And that's a fact. As such, Geula, the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the redemption from the land of Egypt, Nimshechet Gam Achshav, continues to flow forth or radiate, if you will, right now. Here and now. Then there's another element, and this the Rebbe calls not the reality that we should be aware of, but the Chiyuv, the mitzvah obligation that Torah places upon us. And that is, in addition to the notion of us being aware, aware of Yetziat Mitzrayim, or even knowing cerebrally, not, I wouldn't say believing, but understanding this idea, that we can only be who we are today because of what happened then, it's not enough to, so to speak, buy into that logic. We need to get emotional about this. We need to get invested in it, get personal with it. I need to feel, how do I feel about that? There's lots of knowledge that I have that I don't have any feeling about. <laughs> I have all kinds of strange and arcane facts I store in my head and I can't even tell you why. Much of it is irrelevant really to me. It's cute, things that I pull out at times during a lecture or a sermon, but it doesn't really mean anything to me. And then there are things that mean a lot to me. I'm emotionally invested. These things are personal to me. Well, Yitzias Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, shouldn't be something I'm aware of. The notion that the exodus from Egypt necessarily affects me today is not just supposed to be something that I buy into intellectually. The responsibility is I should be personally invested. That has, to, that has to be meaningful to me. Academia and meaningful are not necessarily one and the same. And then the Rebbe says, according to Rambam and the other Rishonim, it goes further. Not only do I need to feel personally invested, not only, not only do I need to feel strongly about this, 
I actually need to give that emotion expression. I need to convey it to others. I need to live that way so that my feeling filters outward. Think of a person who's very joyous. It's their child's wedding. And the joy they feel radiates outwards to the point that they're dancing, jumping up and down because they're joyous. That's not something that requires great effort. That's natural. Because you're so happy, you express yourself that way. So really, it's almost a commentary on how emotional we need to get about this. So emotional that it actually spills over into the expressive realm. We're doing things because we feel so strongly about this. It's obvious to the bystander or spectator that this is really important to us. The Rebbe goes further and he suggests that this is actually not only an obligation during the actual recitation of the Haggadah, it's not only about how I say the Haggadah, it's about how I behave tonight. So my behavior at the Seder is punctuated with a sense of joy. Why am I joyous? Because I'm free. Because I was incarcerated, subjugated, enslaved. I'm free now. I'm delighted. I want everybody to know about it. So this is, if you will, on a literal meaning, on a halachic meaning, the definition of what the chiyuv, what the obligation is. So now I know when the Mishnah comes along and tells me, chayiv adam, it's actually a responsibility. It's an obligation. It's an obligation for me to know it, to feel it, and even to communicate or share it. But let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning of this statement. I'm obligated, lirot, to see myself. To see myself as if I would have left Egypt. Whilst Rambam very, very beautifully sows this tapestry of halachic obligation in the words chay of Adam Liros, but when it comes to the notion of lirot, of seeing, I have to tell you that if you look in the writings of the Rishonim, it's taken quite literally. Not just in halachic terms, but actually in emotional terms. This is, this is the way I have to view things. Let me share with you the words of the Rashba. The Rashba says, Kilomar. When we say Chayiv Adam, it means, listen carefully, Rashba didn't mince words, but he also doesn't use extra words. He says, Kilomar kol yachid v'yachid. This means each and every single individual. Tzorich sheyire atzmai he needs to see himself as if he was a slave. I was a slave? Never. No good, Ritva says. Ritva says, you need to see yourself as if you were actually a slave. As if you were a slave, 
and as if you experienced that kind of liberation. My grandfather was enslaved. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors. I was never enslaved. I was never incarcerated. I never really had my freedom taken away in the sense that I should experience the joy of liberty, of liberation, of redemption, of freedom. Ritzvah says, yeah. That's how you have to see it. And I go back to my original question. So what is this, some grand delusion? What are we seeing? What does that actually mean? Ritva says, like it says, we have already talked about this earlier in the low. We told the wicked son, Li, to me, not to you. Guess what? Had you been in Egypt, you never would have left. But God did this for me. And when Mashiach comes, we're all going to be redeemed. Well, now Ritva says, this is Darshin on Li, I'll call Echad Echad. Everybody at the table has got to say, Li, I was a slave and I was freed. What does that really mean? This, my dear friends, should be the balance of today's class. To make it simple so you can follow along, I introduced the Mishnah to you. I, I, I showed you the proof from the actual scripture with the Marsha. We went back to this notion and said, what does it mean halachically? We spoke about the Rashbam, we spoke about Rambam, we spoke about Me'iri, the way the Rebbe kind of hammers that together. Very nice. So now we have a specific obligation Here's what you should do. But I'm coming back to the subject and saying, the Ritva says clearly you need to see yourself as if you were a slave. Not just, had they not been redeemed, we never would have become a Jewish people. I was a slave. I was redeemed. Doesn't that sound somewhat delusional? The Ritva is not the only one. In fact, if we look at the commentary of the Bali Hatosvos, we see very interestingly that the Ritva's words are taken quite literally. First of all, here's something interesting, a fascinating comment of one of the Baliatesfas. It says, Va'oisanu hoitzi meisham. So the text of the Haggadah, as we have it in the Altarebbe's text, is Oisanu is spelled with an Vav alavav taf nun yud oisanu. However, it seems that in the text of some of the Baliatisvis, the word v'otanu was spelled with sorry, with 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 the same way, with the with the vav. V'oisanu doesn't need the first vav. You could write otanu with alef tes nun vav. But instead it says v'otanu with the extra vav. So why do we have the extra vav? That's called mole. Like the word chanukah can be spelled with a vav. Or without a vav. It's called mole or chaser. Sometimes the vav, the o or oi, is vowelized, pronounced, but it's not written. And here it was written in. And there are many, many commentaries from Rashi in his literal analysis of the scripture where he will look at a word that's written a certain way, mole or chaser, and it has a message. So the Baleatesvah said that the reason it's written mole vav is keneged vav meis elef ragli, corresponding to the proverbial 600,000 members of Am Yisrael mind you, males of age 20 to 60, who left, Even though 
Each one of us has to see himself as if he is one of those 600,000. Wow, seriously? How do you do that? Short of being delusional, drinking or smoking something, how do you imagine yourself to have experienced something that took place 3,333 years ago? And if you look at the writings of the Bali Atosvot, they're really very, very clear about this idea that we have to see ourselves as if we went out of Egypt. The Tosvot says, We are part of the miraculous deliverance, the miraculous events that took place. How? I mean, you could tell me that I'm part of the fact that we were liberated, but how do the actual miracles reflect something personal for me. And the Machzer Vitri is a student of Rashi, Rabbeinu Simcha Vitri. He said, If our ancestors hadn't gone out, we'd still be servants. Okay, that kind of jibes, we'd still be servants. But the notion of as if we actually experienced slavery and freedom still sounds really quite odd. The Tosfos one of the important Tosfos says, "Bitsesi," it says, "in going out, it's not only our ancestors, Anu Bchalal Hanisim, we too are part of those miracles. We should see yourselves as if we went out." And the Shabbat Aleket says the same thing, "Anu Bchalal Hanisim, we are part of the miracles," and that's the meaning of what Rava says, "Dava Vayisano Haitzi." Not only is Rava explaining to us how to behave, but according to the Shabbat Leheleket, Rava is telling us how we should view ourselves. How do you explain that? How should we view ourselves as if having left Mitzrayim? So I want to introduce you to the words of Rabbeinu Moshe ben Nachman, Nachmanides. Ramban. He says something quite fascinating in his commentary in the Torah and almost as fascinating I discovered that Rabbeinu Yitzchak or Don Yitzchak Abarbanel in his Haggadah Zevach Pesach seems to paraphrase and borrow from this Ramban and actually sew it into the direct commentary on the Haggadah itself. But this is what the Ramban says. The Ramban is found in the 13th chapter of Exodus on the verse that speaks about Tefillin. It says you should place a sign on your hand, a frontlet between your eyes, because Hashem took you out of Mitzrayim with great, a great, a mighty hand. That's how Parshat Bo concludes. So the Ramban says that if you want to really understand the gist of this verse, you have to frame it with the pasuk Ba'avurze Asa Hashem Li. Oh, that's the verse we just talked about in our Mishnah, Ba'avurze. Ramban says, that's right. You must view it as if Hashem did this for me. As if to say, he says, Hashem did this for the honor of God, the honor of the Jewish people, for me. We have to see ourselves as personally invested in Judaism. This event was foundational for the development of Yiddishkeit itself. Ramban goes on to explain, he says the following. Early on, after the Creator 
brought the world into existence and placed humankind upon it, people began to ponder and to question. I mean, after all, they didn't see God. God had spoken to Adam. God had spoken to Eve. God had spoken to Cain. Abel wasn't around anymore. But later on, God wasn't speaking to people. And people began to be what the Ramam calls confused. He says some of them denied that God created the world altogether. He said the world was always here. There is no creator. Others said that makes no sense to imagine the world put itself together. Somebody has to have put this into place, but he's no longer involved. In fact, he's no longer able to get involved. He's created a monster he can't control. Others maintain that God could do as he pleased, but he has no interest in us. He's gone on vacation. Be back in a few thousand years. And so stuff happens. What would change your mind, says Nachmanides? What would change a person's mind who says, there is no God, God didn't create the world, or maybe he did create it, but he's not engaged, or can't be bothered, or can't even deal with what he's created because it's spun out of control and too powerful? What would demonstrate that that's, in fact, false? What would make a person say, wow, I believe? You know the answer. A miracle. Have you never heard people say, if such and such happens, I'll be a believer. There must be a God. This is unbelievable. There must be a God. That's how people speak. But it's not just the way they speak. It's the way they view things. It's the way they feel about things. Or people will say, where is God? Show it to me. Why did A, B, C, or D happen? Eh? What's your answer? We don't really know. But suddenly when they see the hand of God, they'd say, wow, there is a God. And so, Nachmanides says that the wonders or miracles that God would bring about would essentially indicate his supervision or involvement or engagement with the world. The Isis and Wavesim, says Ramban, would be Eidim Ne'emanim. They would be trusted witnesses. Testimony you can believe. Insofar as the Emuna in the Boira, the belief in the Creator, is concerned. And yet Ramban says, God is not going to do miracles in every generation. That's not the way it works. God is not going to repeat this generation after generation to convince the non-believers, the skeptics, and the atheists. It's not going to be that way. So God once got involved in a very profound way. A string of what may have been as many as thousands of miracles came together to orchestrate Excuse me. Came together to orchestrate the event we call the Exodus. And this is the reason, Ramban says, that it's so important for us to keep mentioning the Exodus. 
just as God doesn't have to do a miracle every two years or every five years or every decade or every century, God doesn't have to do it every millennia either. But once He did it, He needs you to talk about it. Archaeology? Seriously? Do I need to have a, a steely coming out of the ground that tells the story of Yetzirah Mitzrayim for me to believe it? I heard it from my parents. They heard it from their parents year after year after year for their whole lives. And that's something that's happened in every place Jewish people have lived, including China, Afghanistan, India. Year after year, Jewish people gathering their children together and telling them the story of the Exodus in great detail. In fact, a Jew mentions the Exodus on a daily basis. Black Jews, blue Jews, green Jews, yellow Jews, all kinds of Jews, because Jewish is not ethnic per se. Jewish is born of a Jewish mother or converted according to halacha, and this is something that we do on a regular basis. You have a mezuzah, talks about the Exodus. You wear tefillin and talks about the Exodus. You observe the Shabbat. You talk about the Exodus, Zecher, the Yitzias, Mitzrayim. So this is the proof that there is a God who is engaged in our world because these miracles happen and we've never stopped talking about them. And you can't ever try to convince millions and millions and millions of people that they saw something or that something happened involving millions of people if it didn't happen. Statistically impossible. You could convince people that God spoke to some people somewhere. You can't convince millions of people that there were millions of people who saw all these things happen because, because the people will say, show me the proof. Where's the testimony? Oh, you're worried because people deny the Exodus? People deny the Holocaust too. And you have archaeology and living witnesses. It doesn't seem to help. So the notion that there will be deniers or naysayers well, that's part of the darkness and the confusion of the world in which we live. But the notion that I, as a rational person, can say, I heard the story, everybody I know has heard the story, year after year, all over the world, in the same syntax, the same story. It's true. It's impossible that this was made up at some point. And so Ramban says that the Exodus... is the greatest possible proof for us. Not for then, for us, now. It is the proof that we have now because we've always continued to talk about this. And so he says, the notion that we believe in Hashem, the notion that we believe in the authenticity and veracity of the Torah. The notion that we believe that we are Hashem's special children can be seen in the miracle of Jewish survival. We aren't privy to the great flash of divine expression. We're not seeing amazing psychedelic colorful miracles unfolding in our time, but we are necessarily able to view the trajectory of Jewish history and identify within it the ever-present hand of Hashem. 
And that, complemented with the stories of Yetzias Mitzrayim, is personal. Ramban says that's the meaning of it's personal. Those miracles, they're personal. They affect me today. The words of Ramban are actually adopted and developed by Dan Yitzchak Abarbanel, as I mentioned. The Abarbanel in his commentary of Zevach Pesach says, Koninu ha'amuna. It was at the Exodus that we acquired the root, the foundation of our faith. That is the first cause, if you will, for the Jewish faith. Not creation, but God's ongoing involvement. This is the first time it was clear to all that there was Hashem's supervision and engagement and involvement. This is the faith that we have, that Hashem is involved in every little detail and can change nature at any moment, should Hashem show desire. He says, When you see miracles, it indicates there is a superior operator, a force, a power that controls the forces and powers to be that are evident or that we see with our own eyes. This is the notion. A miracle says to us that God can change nature at any moment and it became something we knew and it became a part of our being when Moshe Rabbeinu took us out of Mitzrayim and then we subsequently received the Torah. And that whole experience from the Exodus to Matan Torah to the miraculous arrival and settling of the land of Israel is the foundation upon which all is built insofar as our Yiddishkeit and our lives are concerned. And because God won't do miracles in every generation, why not say you? Barbara says, because we are built Iruim. We're not really deserving. We're not meritorious. So Hashem, in His infinite wisdom, gave us all these mitzvot and one very special night to focus on remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So that this memory will be vividly passed from parents to children so that we will continue to focus on and to emphasize and to engage in various mitzvahs that express our connection to this narrative and to those events. And that's the reason, says Abarbanel, Abarbanel seems influenced by the same ideas of Rambam, Rajbam, Meiri, by the way, that's Fardik and Ashkenazic and didn't necessarily see each other's writings or speak to each other. Same tradition. Same tradition. Rashbam is some Alsace-Lorraine, Ashkenaz, grandson of Rashi. Rambam lives in Spain and then North Africa. Same idea, Laharois, Laharois, to demonstrate. Because when we demonstrate, when we remember these miracles, when we ruminate and you, when we think about these miracles, what happens is it's become something that's so real to us, it's as if we saw it. And at some point, we feel, yes, it's as if we actually left Mitzrayim. So this is the way 
these great Rishonim saw the notion of seeing yourself as you left Mitzrayim and those miracles having an impact upon us today because everything we do now is built on that. Yet, to further personalize this, well, actually, before I, I go further, I, I want to share with you the synopsis of what we just learned, as the Ma'am Loes puts it. It's very sweetly. He says, and I want to read to you the, the way he synopsizes the words of Abarbanel of Rabban. He says, Heyoteinu b'Mitzrayim are being in Egypt as slaves. Hayta siba l'chala tovot shahayolonu shel ha'olahaba. That is the origin of all goodness that has come our way, spiritual goodness, the world to come. Heyoteinu begalut hamar hazeh, our existence in our bitter exile, mizakeket otanu, crystallizes, purifies, and refines us from all of our iniquities and all of our imperfections. And therefore, he says, it's not mutually exclusive. It all comes from going out of Mitzrayim. It all comes from our reality today. All of that together comes in unison to lead us to the destination, which is the future perfected world. And that's why we need to remember at all times the exodus from Mitzrayim, kol yimei chayenu, all the days of our life. Now, an interesting way of putting this on the personal level, and I can't tell you I really can fully relate to this, but there is such a concept. I mean, we have this concept more widely spoken of with regard to the giving of the Torah that we were all present. So in the Haggadah's Siach Yitzchak, he says, you know, this business of the 600,000 and you were one of them, he says it means every single Yid was actually in Mitzrayim in some way. Not just on the spirit, on, on some metaphysical level, we were all there. So we all did go out of Mitzrayim. The Sif Sikainim, in the seventh verse of the book of Exodus, comments on the notion of the population explosion. And he says there are different opinions about this. Some say sextuplets, six babies born. Some talk about as many as 600. Don't ask me to explain that. The intention, he says, is that God decreed to Avram Avinu that your progeny would be strangers in a land that is not theirs. This, he says, is the story of the Jewish people until the end of time, until the Galut finally ends. And he says, you should know that all generations are the seed of Abraham, and yet all generations who live have once lived. The Sif Sikoyanim says that there were millions and millions of babies who didn't make it in the land of Mitzrayim, who were exterminated in Egypt. And those souls are the root connection souls for future people who lived. And just as those souls were in Egypt, we were in Egypt. Because essentially, the souls that we possess are old souls. So we could, be, we could be souls that are connected to the souls who left Mitzrayim or souls connected to the souls who didn't make it but experienced the slavery, the bondage, the pain and the suffering and its excruciating consequences. And he says 
That's why it says, Ger that your progeny will be strangers in a land that's not theirs. It doesn't say the land of Egypt. It says a land that's not theirs because it's Lirmais Akoladiris. This is a, a generational epoch. This is something that spans the centuries and millennia. And in this way, every one of us actually is personally connected. Now, of course, I have no such memories, at least not in a vivid fashion, and neither do you. But it is possible we have certain predispositions that are linked to experiences of past lives, of past neshamas, of past realities, to the point that we are molded by, to some degree, the events of antiquity in a very dynamic fashion. So this is a really interesting way of looking at the notion of personalize this because it is personal. It actually makes us who we are. I am who I am. You are who you are because of the story of the Exodus. The Maharal of Prague takes this in a fascinating direction. Maharal in his commentary on the Haggadah known as Gvurot Hashem. He says, we are obligated to see ourselves as if we left the land of Egypt quite literally. He says, do not sit at the Seder as if this was a story that happened to our ancestors. And obviously, if they were saved, so we were kind of saved too. If my grandfather was saved at the last moment, from bullets. In a way, I'm saved too. Had he not been locked up somewhere on that night of Yom Kippur when his father was killed, I wouldn't be here either. But I don't think of Yom Kippur as the day that God decided I should live, although my grandfather may have thought of that day as such, the day God decided to spare him. Maral says that's not the way we should be viewing Yitzias Mitzrayim. By default, we are the beneficiaries of the exodus that took place in antiquity. Rather, Maharal says, here we have a responsibility. says, As if they went out. And in fact, Maharal says something amazing. He says, don't say, we also went out. Say, we went out. Personalize this. You should feel as if you left Mitzrayim. Forget about the fact that your ancestors may or may not have left. Is that irrelevant? That's not what's important for you. What's important for you is not Jewish history. This is not about the past. This is about the present. Can you imagine? Maharal says, hey, how will you explain the words later? Maharal says, that's from God's perspective. God took them out and us out. But my perspective should not be that I was taken out because my grandparents were taken out, because my ancestors were taken out. I should feel as if I was taken out. What in heaven does that mean? What does that mean that God took me out? Maral says it's very simple. God brought about the redemption, which means He birthed the nation called Israel. And so... The fact that there was a nation called Israel born is why I am who I am today. 
I am not who I am today because they were made the nation of Israel, though technically I'm descended from them. I am who I am today. I am a member of Am Yisrael. We are proud Jews today because of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Because at Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, God created the Jewish nation. And because God created the Jewish nation during this exodus, in the process of taking us out of Mitzrayim, that means God created us as Am Yisrael. I am not the children of Jews. I am a Jew. I am not the children of the nation of Israel. I am the nation of Israel. That, Maral says, is how we sit at the Seder. And Maharal says there are those who query, what is the value of God having taken us out in the past when we are now subjugated all over again? And of course, Maharal could have been speaking about some very dark, awful times. Imagine a Jew sitting in Auschwitz, speaking about the Exodus on the night of the Seder. His life isn't worth a nickel. In a moment, he could be dead. Millions of people have died around him. He does not know if he will see the sun rise again. He is entirely subjugated. Every fiber of his being is dependent on the, on the, on the cruelest, most savage human beings who walk the face of earth. So what if he was once taken out of slavery? He is the lowest form of a slave. There's no independence whatsoever. Maharal says, that's a real question, is it not? Do the facts not contradict the theory? No, says Maharal. The facts in no way impact the theory. The theory is sound and intact. And he says it, that's because Kasha Yotsu Yisrael Mimitzrayim, when we left the land of Egypt, Kiblu Hatev Be'etzem, we received some kind of intrinsic and essential good. We received intrinsic freedom. Intrinsic freedom, we are who we are because of leaving Mitzrayim and nobody can take that away. Temporary circumstances do not change us. I'm a human being, but I'm treated like a dog, as the Soviets would do to their dissidents. If you strip a human being naked, you force him to eat food out of a dog, live in a doghouse, you force him to bark at high-ranking KGB officers. The KGB actually did this. You put a chain around his neck. He, he looks like a dog. He's told three times a day, you are a dog. If he does not bark when the superior officers arrive, he's beaten to a bloody pulp. And he's giving mind-altered drugs too. But he is not a dog. He is a human. And when he is released from that horrible reality, he can reclaim his humanity in a heartbeat. Because he was never really a dog. He was always a human. Maharal says the intrinsic value of who we are as members of Am Yisrael can never be taken away or stripped from us. Dover Mikri a temporal circumstance cannot alter 
that which is intrinsic and as such eternal. He says, we were taken out of Mitzrayim and God conferred upon us the notion of Bnei Chayrin, proverbial children of liberty, sons of liberty, if you will. Because after HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given that to us, and furthermore, not only will we call Bnei Chayrin, but we were called also princely, royal. God says, you will be for me Mamlechet Kohanim, the Go Kadosh. You will be for me a kingdom of priests. There's a royal ring to that. And as such, nobody can ever take it away. And that's why our sages say in the Gemara, in Masechet Shabbat, on page 111, side A, Af Every member of Am Yisrael is intrinsically a member of royalty, even during the deepest and darkest moments of exile. And that's mitzad ha-mayla v'ha-chashivus shekonu because there is something intrinsic that was given to us. Lo yigorea That cannot be diminished by virtue of temporary changes in the environment around us. In the words of the Friyadik Rebbe, who was incarcerated, beaten almost to death's doorstep, sentenced to death, but ultimately miraculously released on the third day of Tammuz in the year 1927 as he was about to board a train that was supposed to take him far off into exile for three years, a sentence that was later commuted ten days later. The Friedrich Rebbe was standing at the platform of the train and thousands of Jews came to see this hero, this Rebbe, this Tzaddik, this Mordechai, who refused to bow his head to the evil communists, who continued to promote Jewish pride, literacy, and observance. And the Friedrich Rebbe, moments, moments before, hours ago, he was incarcerated in the harshest of conditions. He's about to board a cattle car that will send him into a deep, difficult, and debilitating exile. What does he say? I'm quoting. These words were transcribed and printed. The Friedrich Rebbe said in Yiddish, This all nations who find themselves upon the face of earth must know. As nor unsere gufim seinen ibergegangenen Golos. Only our bodies, only our corporeal reality can be dominated by exile. Shibud, umalchius, subjugation, or any kind of power to be. Aber unsere neshamas, but our souls, hotmen in Golos nit vertrieben. Our souls were never exiled. Our souls maintain the pristine, pure and profound connection to Hashem. We're not given over to be subjugated by foreign powers. We have to say this, announce it, publicize it in the most open of ways that whenever it comes to something connected to our religion, to Yiddishkeit, to Torah, to mitzvahs, to a custom of the Jewish people, nobody has the right to dictate. Nobody has the right to diminish Nobody has the ability to dampen or extinguish.
who laughed last. Communism is long gone. And in the former Soviet Union today, the flame of Yiddishkeit burns brightly. This, perhaps, my dear friends, is the meaning of the words of Maharal. The Rebbe once spoke about this very Maharal on Pesach in 1986, and I want to share with you a snippet of what he said. He said that although it is possible for our behavior to be inhibited, although it is possible for our exterior persona, as it were, to be impacted, the core essence of who we are cannot be changed. This is, in Hasidic phraseology, the difference between koiches hagiluyim and koiches atzmiyim. There is the things that we can go through, the motions we can go through, and then there is who we are. The trapeze artist can walk a tightrope, can stand on his head, he can jump long distances. That's what he's trained to do. It's not who he is wasn't born doing those things. But a human being is born to walk, not crawl. You don't have to go to circus school to learn how to walk. We all learn how to walk. It's intrinsic to us. And it's true that sometimes a person might crawl. It's true a person might sometimes walk a tightrope. And that can be changes on the superficial level. But the essence of who we are is something that does not and can never change. And that's the freedom that was given to us on Pesach, given to us on Pesach. This is personal. To further help you understand and appreciate this extraordinary idea, the notion of the freedom that's given to us. If we go back to the Lakuta Taimim of Menhagim, the Rebbe's commentary on the Haggadah, the Rebbe says, Bechol Dor Vador, Ah, you want to understand that? Bechol dor v'dor has to be understood as Bechol yom v'yom, every single day. Uki'ilu hu yotza hayom, as if he left, not lifetime-wise, generationally. Today, mimitzrayim. Tanya, beginning of the 47th chapter. What the Rebbe is telling us here is that this notion of freedom is not only something that made us the Jewish people or made me a Jew today. This defines who we are as Jewish people dynamically. Personalizing the Exodus does not only mean the story of the Exodus or the existence of the Jewish people, including my existence. The story of the Exodus is the story of my daily struggle. I must view myself as if I went out of Mitzrayim because I did. It doesn't have to be bricks or mortar. It's things which are foisted upon me, things which inhibit, things which shackle, things which restrain, things which disable me from being who I can be. And we all face things like that. The way to really understand this, the Rebbe says, is through the Hasidic prism of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim not being an epoch in the historical sense, not being an ideal in a generational sense, not even being that which makes me today who I am, but it's a process that continues day after day. Because Bechol Dor Vador has to be translated into Bechol Yom V'yom. It is the stuff, it is the material that life itself is woven from. In a groundbreaking letter to explain this, that the Rebbe authored, 
1958. The Rebbe opens the letter by talking about Pesach and freedom and the intrinsic relationship between that theme and the observance of this holiday. And the Rebbe says, in order to clarify, in order to explain, so that you know what we mean when we suggest that a person has to see himself each and every single day as experiencing liberation, freedom. What does it mean? The Rebbe says, here's a thought, which will bring it into sharp contrast for you. Plant life. It's alive. Suppose a plant were to be given the most fertile of earth, endless hydration, enormous amounts of beautiful, strong sunlight, all the things that plants need. How would that plant react? It would grow, it would spread its branches, it would develop and express itself in the most remarkable of ways. That would be a free tree. The free tree has to be rooted in in one place. It doesn't want to travel. The free tree receives everything vegetation might need. And in that fashion, is free to spread itself. It has experienced the highest form of plant freedom. Now suppose you were to take an animal, give him all the food that it wants, give the animal all the hydration it wants, the most perfect weather it desires. But it's also wearing cement sneakers, planted in one place and can never go anywhere. Can you imagine the kind of slavery that animal is enduring? Can you imagine the sense of disablement? The animal would wither and die because he's been robbed of his freedom. He doesn't have what the animal craves most, freedom of mobility. What's good for a plant doesn't work for a tree, for for an animal. Now, suppose a human being were to be given everything the animal could possibly want. Copious amounts of nutrition, delicious nutrition, lots of hydration, beautiful weather, but no ability to engage intellectually. A human being would be living alone with animals, lonely, living in a forest. He'd have all of his or her physical needs met, but none of his or her physiological needs met, no relationship. No intelligence. Imagine if you took a highly intelligent person and you forced them to spend the rest of their life in nursery school where they can't really communicate on their level. It's obvious that that would be debilitating for a human being. As the famous American revolutionary Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. He wasn't asking for hydration and nutrition. He wasn't asking for good weather. He didn't seek simple mobility wanted freedom of expression. He wanted to be able to be himself. How many young people today chafe at the what they consider to be the harsh shackles of society, forcing them to conform? How many people find freedom in throwing off this yoke of conformity? Because they want to be themselves. That, my dear friend, is the freedom we speak of. And so the Rebbe says, Who are we intrinsically? As Maharal said, we are members of Am We are capable of enormous spiritual achievement and closeness to God. And that, that can only be achieved one way. Through our fulfillment of the Torah and its holy mitzvot. 
that possibility was given to us at Yetzirah Mitzrayim. That possibility is something that we strive for on a daily basis. On a daily basis, we seek to become who we can be, spiritually, religiously, if you will, in our relationship with God. At a later occasion, the Rebbe clarified and he said, it's not just about Torah and mitzvahs. It's about growth in Torah and mitzvahs because, he said, mitzvahs are metaphorized as levushim, or garments. We know this because we hear of Adam and Eve being naked, and it says they're naked as a metaphor, really. They were naked of the mitzvah they had been given. So clothing is a metaphor, and metaphors of Torah are exact. The clothing that worked for you as a toddler would not have been helpful when you were a child. And what worked as a child couldn't be worn when you're a teenager. Not only would the clothing not make you look good, it'd make you look ridiculous. So clothing has to constantly be tailored to the person. Your mitzvahs have to constantly be upgraded and beautified, expanded, freshly tailored, because only then do they become the levushim that we seek. This, my dear friends, is the meaning of the many journeys that the Torah speaks of, of our leaving the land of Mitzrayim, the Rebbe said. Leaving the land of Mitzrayim requires journey after journey after journey after journey, and it is only at the end of the journeys that we finally reach true freedom, a truly spacious reality. Because what shackles today and that which we are freed from becomes yet another level, another plateau that further inhibits. A person who couldn't play the violin at all and learned how to squeak out a few sounds feels liberated. They can actually use the violin. And during the course of his or her lifetime, the musician will continue to grow into wax and become a better and better violinist. Mastering that little artifact so that it becomes an extension of who the person really is, so that the person can pour forth in music. It's like that with just about anything, my friends. Anything that you do well, you do well because you work at it, you practice. And the better you get, the more proficient you become, it's because of the toil. You look back at what you did years earlier and you say, huh, look how much I've grown, look how much I've developed. This, my dear friends, is the story of Yiddishkeit. How many of us are quick and desirous to want to grow in our careers and our vocations and our relationships and yet satisfied to maintain the same old level in our Yiddishkeit. That is the greatest Mitzrayim, the greatest inhibition the greatest spiritual slavery. Understanding that every day I must leave that limitation and achieve a new sense of spiritual weightlessness, that, my dear friends, is the definition of b'chol der in every generation, b'chol yoyim v'yoyim. This is the story of who we are. Ki'iluhu, you must understand that Egypt doesn't mean geography or bricks and mortar. 
It means constraint and limitation. It means something foreign forcing you to conform and not express yourself. Transcending that is the business of Yiddishkeit as much as it's the business of life. And that, my friends, is how freedom sounds if you really want to take it in. Hashem should help us and we should have the koyach to continue to grow from level to level, from strength to strength, to experience continuous freedom, continuous exodus, until such time that the journeys end in the spacious new reality. The coming of Mashiach, the Mehera, will be a Amen. Thanks so much for joining today.